This is the best. 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 Best practices in education and Odyssey School podcast. Let's fly away in a cloud. This podcast aims to offer professional resources, practical tools, and inspiring conversations to teachers and parents in their quest for excellent education. And the trees are rainbow, and you'll see the corn every now and then because that's not weird at all. Welcome to episode 10 of Best Practices, an Odyssey School podcast. I'm Corey Adams, and I'll be your host today. I'm so excited to be in the studio with high school science teacher Andrew Rabin. Andrew has lived in Asheville since 2014, and he's been a high school science teacher since 2001. In previous career incarnations, he was a wildlife biologist studying owls in the desert southwest, an assistant director of an environmental education camp for New York City public school kids, and the head chef of a French restaurant in Tucson, Arizona. Andrew attended Earlham College for an undergraduate degree in biology, Prescott College in Arizona for his teaching license, and has a Master's of Ecological Teaching and Learning from Leslie University in Massachusetts. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you. So let's start with maybe what led you to choose this topic for your best practice. Um, (laughs) Sure. So I chose uh, to do my best practice on doing authentic science with students. And I, the, the rationale for this came from uh, years of observations of what science classes are and maybe what, they, what, I, what I felt they should be. Um, a lot of science class is not really doing science. A lot of science class is learning the language of science, learning vocabulary. It's more like learning a foreign language um, than it is doing science or, or learning history. You know, which is both of those are absolutely essential and really important for doing science. But if too much of the time is spent doing that, then I think something is really lost. Um, And then when we do a hands-on activity in science classes, often it's something that's uh, scripted right out of like almost like reading a recipe from a cookbook. Um, The outcome is, is known. You know, if you follow these steps in this order, you'll get this result. And these are also really good. These are useful for um, showing, demonstrating some concept, um, but it's still not really doing science. So I wanted to, to stress the importance of actually having kids experience you know, doing science, authentic science. Yeah, I love that term, authentic science. Can you define it for us? Um, so authentic science is, uh, well, it's, it's following the scientific method. Uh, which which is probably a little bit different than in in reality than it was when you learned it in elementary school. In elementary school, it's sort of this step one question, hypothesis, experiment, data, analyze, um, and it's really a much more circular process where where scientists move from one to the other um, as new questions arise. Um, it's very uh, it, it's very circular. Uh, the outcome is not known. Uh, it creates new knowledge, mm. um, so it's and it can be a little bit uh, messier than than uh, I guess the scripted science. Yeah, I'd love to hear you share an example that illustrates the way you see the difference between how real science works and how students often think it works. 
um, well, I don't think students have any idea how real science works. <laughs> they they think it's you know just some magical thing that scientists and their white lab coats do somewhere. <laughs> uh, you know, they go through some process and they get uh, they get this result, and they get you know all of a sudden we know stuff about the world, um, and it's really a lot more uh, complicated than that. Uh, often. Um, scientists don't get the results they want and there's a whole lot of detail and tediousness and uh, that is, you know, they don't understand that part of it. Uh, so doing authentic science, um, it, it, I think it allows students to uh, definitely understand the process a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like that's a goal for you. Is that true that you really want to have your students do the other pieces that are important? So do the vocabulary work, learn the history part, but that you also really are excited for them to experience real science and practice that. Right. I mean, I I think an important aspect of this is that scientists are not them. They're not other, that anyone can do science. Um, yeah, I've done a, a fair amount of citizen science activities with students. Uh, I used to do uh, water quality tests in, in some classes, or uh, we've, we did an experiment where we measured air quality, uh, putting up these little uh, these little cards all over the school. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year we did uh, an experiment, or we did a project on um, uh, monarch butterflies. How did you re- arrive at that as your topic? Um, it, I mean, honestly, it wasn't something I had planned on doing when I was sort of planning out my year. It just sort of mm-hmm. so happened. I, I had a, a really healthy milkweed patch in the front of my house, <laughs> and there were lots of caterpillars. And I was like, well, I'll just grab some of these, and I'll bring them to school and see if we can raise them in the classroom, because that'll be cool. We'll just watch monarchs growing in the classroom and, and, and pupating and becoming butterflies. Um, and then I read, a, I read an article recently. Uh, it was a piece on NPR. Um, about how uh, captive bred and raised monarchs were not migrating properly. So I wanted to, um, I was like, well, maybe there's something we can, you know, a question we can ask around this. So I brought this to the class and we came up with uh, some questions. And, w- and one of the questions um, was, you know, do is it the fact that they are were bred in captivity or raised in captivity? Because here we have some uh, caterpillars that were wild uh, wild raised, um, but we're going to be raised in our in the classroom. Is there a way that we can test or see whether they're going to migrate properly? Um, ideally, we would have tagged them and actually, you know, watched where they go, mm-hmm. um, which I know many places do that. We didn't. Uh, that's sort of our next step. Um, but what we came up with was we designed an enclosure. Uh, where we could put the the butterflies once they emerge, uh, and we marked on the ground under the enclosure the compass directions, north, Mm -hmm. south, east, west. Um, And basically what we decided we would do is we would collect data on where the butterflies were sort of orienting themselves. Um, This idea came from, I used to study, in college I studied birds a lot, Mm -hmm. and birds do this weird behavior, uh, it's called zugenru, uh, where they become restless right before they migrate and they kind of like jump and orient themselves in the direction that they're about to migrate. Um, so we thought, well, I wonder, I wonder, do butterflies do this? So uh, we 
uh, our hypothesis, our working hypothesis was, well, here we are, we're in Asheville. They end up, I know they go to uh, part of uh, central Mexico. And I, I looked on a map, and that was about 219 degrees south-southwest. Mm-hmm. So they should orient south-southwest. Um, so that was our hypothesis. Are they going to do this? Can I ask, because the yeah. language that you're using is um, we instead of I. So it sounds like you engaged the students and led them through maybe a series of questions in order to come up with what actually you were going to study and measure. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. so it was a very collaborative process. Um, I mean, they got to take part in the experimental design process. We we looked at a bunch of different ideas. What is the enclosure going to look like? Where are we going to put the enclosure? Mm-hmm. Um, how can we collect this data? You know, these are all questions that we were trying to grapple with together. So what were the results, I'm curious, of the experiment? Sure. So, you know, we collected data for, uh, I don't know, about three or four weeks, and we put it all into a spreadsheet. And, you know, our our original hypothesis was that they were going to orient themselves southwest. In the course of the the experiment in the project, we, we came up with other questions like, wow, you know, maybe they're actually orienting based on some other things. Like maybe they orient based on the sun. So we, we collected data on the sun position at each time we looked at the butterflies. We collected data on uh, time of day. We collected temperature data. Maybe they changed their position uh, based on temperature. So these are all different questions that came up you know, after we started the process, which I think was re- a really good, first of all, illustration of how this works. Like We don't just start with one question and, and find the answer to it. Um, so when we, we got around to crunching the numbers and, and, and seeing if there was any actual correlation between uh, these different variables and how the butterflies were oriented themselves. Uh, in some ways, you know, I think some of the students were a little disappointed because, you know, we had these great questions and the data kind of looked like, you know, if you threw a bunch of, uh, a, a bunch of dots against the page, they were just kind of spread out all over the place. It wasn't, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't look like a clear trend. Mm. Um, and that's okay. I, you know, I had to really convince the students that, uh, you know, if we're, if we're plotting a graph of uh, butterfly orientation and position of the sun, and they don't really, and the, and the dots all look like they were splattered onto the page, um, that's okay. We've still learned something. We've learned that, okay, the butterflies are not tracking the sun, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it sounds like some of the students... Well, I'm curious both about data collection, like did they experience that as fun or as tedious or and also that they were disappointed with the results, some of them. And and that is where you're driving home the experience of real science is what I hear. Um, It Yeah, I definitely it took some explanation of like, uh, it's okay if your hypothesis is not supported. (laughs) You've still learned something. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't want to say that nothing was are actually. Our data did support that the the butterflies were mostly uh, facing southwest, which which was really kind of interesting. When uh, the majority of the times uh, when we checked the butterflies, they were oriented not just southwest, but like almost at two hundred and nineteen degrees. Wow, um, which was pretty pretty close to the direction that that, that you would have to travel from here to uh, central Mexico. Mm. Um, so yeah, we the the data was. Um, it took a little bit of explanation, I guess, to, to tell the students that, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't always work out. The hypothesis yeah. isn't always supported, but we still, that's kind of what science is. I'm curious what you might share about 
the overall process, so not that specific experiment, but just engaging in authentic science, what about that that you find valuable in your role as a career teacher? Sure, sure. Um, you know, I mean, this was took a lot of time. Um, I'm sure one could argue, well, you know, there's all this content, all this vocabulary that we didn't learn uh, during the time that we were working on this study. And, you know, if we were teaching to a test at the end of the year, there's all these things that maybe uh, we wouldn't have gotten to. But there are a number of skills that I think students can only get through this kind of experience. Students mm-hmm. were, were doing collaboration. They were doing experimental design. They had to learn how to organize their time. Uh, they were collect- had to learn how to collect accurate and precise data. Um, there was creative problem solving. Then in, at the end, they had to learn how to write, write up their results and write up a, a scientific report. Um, they had to create graphs, analyze graphs. Uh, draw conclusions, make inferences, ask questions, all these, all these really valuable outcomes um, that I think, you know, you, you have to uh, prioritize those. Mm-hmm. And it, it really is worth the time. So I think if you're a teacher, you have to um, realize that it's, a, it's okay to, to spend time, you know, not learning vocabulary and doing these other things that are a little unscripted. I didn't know how it was going to go. Yeah. Um, but the outcome was, was still really positive. Yeah, and I know this is often the hardest question to answer, but I'm curious, why? Why prioritize those things? Because I think those are the skills that students are going to need to solve mm-hmm. the problems of, of the 21st century. You know, these are, yeah. these are not easy problems that this generation needs to solve. Yeah. So one last question, and that is really about resources. How would you direct science teachers or other teachers who are interested in engaging in this kind of process, where would you point them? Um, Well, first of all, I I think it's important to read the primary literature and and see examples and have your students read primary source literature. Like, you know, what are scientific studies, what scientific studies are being done? Um, How do they, how do they look? Um, And there are other, I can't think of specific names, but there are certainly books, that uh, I've used to guide around things like, you know, water quality studies and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I've never read one about monarch studies. (laughs) So thanks for being in the studio with us today, Andrew, and sharing such thought-provoking content. Thank you, Corey. Join us next week for more wild and wacky adventures with Odyssey teachers. This has been Best Practices in Education, an Odyssey School podcast. It was recorded here in our music studio in Asheville, North Carolina at Odyssey School, engineered by our music director, River Gargarian, and the original theme music was created by the Misfits of Cragberry, an Odyssey student band. Let's fly away in a cloud. Oh, wait, we're rolling. (laughs) I didn't know. Um, Okay. (laughs) Uh, My mind goes blank, and I'm supposed to say...